Morning everyone, it's Grant here. I'm one of the elders or pastors here at Harbour City and just want to say it's good to be together this morning and if you're new, I think that's really cool. That means you've jumped in with what we're doing during this time of lockdown. So welcome to you and to everyone else. Today we're starting a new series called In Durban As It Is In Heaven. And we actually had this locked and ready to go a couple of months ago. We were going to start this series when we finished our How We Change series. But the coronavirus hit, we went into lockdown and things changed. And we just felt that it was important at that time to adjust our plans and to talk about what it looked like to follow Jesus in a global pandemic and in lockdown, which we've been doing for the last few months. But at the moment, I think for all of us, as we read the news, as we scroll down our social media feeds, I think we're seeing that things are happening in our city and in our country and all around the world uh, that really feel like this is the right time for us to go through the series. Because I think we're all so, so aware at this time of the brokenness, the sin, the injustice, the evil, the inequality and the need for change that there is all around the world. I think on top of that, it should be more clear to us than ever before that inside of our lives and our city, our country and our world, that things are not the way they're supposed to be. I think recently in South Africa, we've had a number of reminders about that. This last Tuesday, we remembered Youth Day and we thought back to the 16th of June, 1976, and the many brave young South Africans who stood up to speak out against apartheid and inequality and just the broken, unjust, systemic oppression that was going on in our country at that time. And although a lot has changed in the last 40 years, at the same time, there is still so much change that needs to happen inside of South Africa and around the world when it comes to transformation. On top of that, in the news, I'm sure recently, you've seen uh, all about the Black Lives Matter protests that have been going on all around the world and how they've been spotlighting just the violence against black men and women in South Africa, in the USA and all around the world. And there's been this call for an end to racism and just the racist systems and structures that still exist in our world and our society and our culture to this day. On top of that, you would have seen recently the awful gender-based violence statistics which exist in our own country and how high the levels of rape and sexual abuse and just violence against women are and how they've increased during lockdown. Now, President Soro Mopoza has spoken out against this a number of times, but during his speech on Wednesday night, he said this, and we stand behind this so fully. As a man, as a husband, and as a father, I am appalled at what is no less than a war being waged against the women and children of our country. And then he went on to recite the names of women that have been killed just in the last few weeks by men. And he spoke about them, those names that you would have seen in newspapers and in headlines over the last while. On top of that, in our country, we are often at the top of the list of having the highest income inequality in the world, the, the greatest gap between rich and poor. And with that comes this dividing wall between different classes of people out in society and inside of the church, sadly. Now, I'm not saying all of this to ruin your Sunday morning. I know some of you are enjoying coffee and having a nice brunch while you're watching this. And I also know that many of you are aware of this. You know the statistics that I'm talking about. And you know about these truths of what is going on in our city and our nation, our society and our culture. And again, these point to the fact that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. 
Matthew chapter 6, we have the Lord's Prayer. And it's a moment where Jesus is asked by his disciples how to pray. Now, if you are new to Christianity, if you're wanting to grow in prayer, this is a good place to start. And on our website, in kind of the blog section, Kimmy Cole has written a brilliant blog post, just practical and, and helpful around how to pray. You should really, really check that out. But Jesus starts his prayer lesson for his disciples in verse 9 and 10. And he says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven. Your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's where we get the name for our series that we're going through from today. Now listen, when we look around the world today through our Christian worldview, through Christian lenses, and when we see that things are not the way that they should be, our first response should be to look to our Father in heaven, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and ask him to bring change. To ask him that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done, that his rule and reign would spread throughout our city, throughout our country and the nations of the world as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, there is no more evil, there's no more injustice, there's no more sin, there's no more brokenness, and there's also no more pain or sickness or suffering or death or sadness. In heaven, everything is the way that it is supposed to be. So Jesus tells us to start there. By lifting our gaze to our Father in heaven and praying that he would bring change in our hearts, in our cities, in our country, and around the world. Then a few verses later, just down the page, still in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we've been told, pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. And now we're told to live or act to see his kingdom come and his righteousness or his will be done. We start vertically in prayer and then we act horizontally to live out the way of God and to see his rule and reign spread throughout our society. And we do that with our words. We do that with our money. We do that with our time. We do that with our influence. We do that in our homes, in our workplaces, in our relationships. We do that through our spheres of influence. We do that with everything that we have that God has given us to steward. We seek to see his kingdom come and his will be done. To see his rule and reign replace the brokenness, the sinfulness, the evil and the injustice that exists in here and out there. So we pray. But we also respond to God's invitation to join him in the work of renewal that he is already doing in our city and in our world, in our societies, in our cultures. And we do this that we might see in Durban as it is in heaven. Through ordinary people like you and I, God would do his work to see his name hallowed, to see his kingdom come, and to see his will be done. So over the next few months, this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be teaching into this on Sundays. We've got a few friends who are going to join us midweek to help equip us just in thinking about how the gospel speaks into the brokenness and needs that we see in our city at the moment. And we're also going to help you get connected with some ways that you can play a part in being involved in the renewal of Durban. And we're going to end this off with a time of prayer and fasting as a church where we're going to pray into all of these areas and cry out to our Father in heaven that he would bring his renewal and extend his kingdom in our city. But today we're starting the series off with a sermon which is really a foundation, speaking about spiritual renewal and its importance at the base of all of this. And I just want to say a few years ago, I was marked by a conversation I had with another pastor 
we sat down and we had a coffee together and we were talking about these things. The kingdom of God coming, God's will being done, a culture being transformed. We were talking about renewal and obstacles to it and how to do it. And it was a really good conversation. And at the end, this friend of mine, he says, let me pray for us before we go. And I I had my eyes open. He closed his and he put his hand on his chest. And he prayed, Lord, let your kingdom come in this piece of earth as it is in heaven. And I was so struck by that. As we talk about out there, we're asking God first to bring change in here, to bring his rule and reign into the places in our heart where he is not yet Lord and King. See, we need prayer and we need action if we want to see renewal in our city and in our world. But citywide or worldwide renewal starts with personal change. Now, what we see in the world on a large scale at the moment in the news and on social media exists out there because of what exists on a smaller scale in here in our hearts and lives and homes. And if we dream of seeing God renew the world and bring change to everything going on in our world that is broken and needs to change, then we need to first ask him to come and bring that same change to us. We need personal spiritual renewal before we start anything else. So if you've got a Bible, can I ask you to turn to John chapter 3 with me? This is one of the best known, most popular and powerful passages in the Bible. And we're going to be working through the first 17 verses this morning. So John 3 verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to him. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Now here we're introduced to Nicodemus, and in just these two verses, we're told a lot about him. Firstly, we find out that he's a Pharisee. He's one of the leaders of the Jewish people. He's a religious leader. Now these Pharisees were a very passionate group of about 6,000 male leaders who were committed to obeying every single command in the scriptures. And when someone became a Pharisee, what they did is in front of at least three witnesses, they made a pledge to uphold every detail of the law for the rest of their lives, which is obviously a radical commitment to make. Now, in Judaism, we're taught that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 248 of those are do's and 365 of those are don't commands. And these Pharisees were so committed to obeying these 316, uh, 613 commands that they actually added some extra rules. They added them so that they wouldn't break the real commands. It's kind of like if you're near to a cliff, you're in danger of falling off the edge. They thought, you know what, so that we don't break any of the 613 commands, we're just going to put a little fence on the inside so that no one gets close enough to the edge that they could fall off or that they could sin. These are the kinds of things that they dealt with. Now, for instance, in in the commandments of God, in the scriptures, we're told to keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, if you're going to honor the Sabbath day, if you're going to keep it holy, that means no working on the Sabbath. But how do you define work? What is work? And for instance, would tying a knot on the Sabbath uh, be seen as work? Well, the Pharisees decided yes and no. If you were tying a knot in a rope on a bucket so that you could lower it into a well to get water, yes, that was work. You can't do that. But if a woman is tying a knot in her clothes, that wouldn't be constituted as work. Which means that if you wanted to draw water on the Sabbath, you could tie a knot in woman's clothes around the bucket to lower it into the well to draw water, and that would be fine. But then there was another tension. 
Well, what about burdens? Because in Jeremiah 17, 21, it commands the Israelites not to bear a burden on the Sabbath. So would lifting that bucket of water out of the well be seen as a burden or not? You can kind of see this as a bit of a rabbit hole. So on and on and on they would go. And the Pharisees wrestled with these commands, not because they had nothing better to do, but because they were zealous about God and they were passionate about honoring him and fulfilling the scriptures. And Nicodemus, our new friend, he was one of these Pharisees. He was a devout, incredibly moral, religious, godly man. Secondly, we also find out he was a powerful leader. In John 3 verse 1, he's called a ruler of the Jews. And it seems that he would have been part of this group of men called the Sanhedrin. This was a group of about 70 men who ruled over the whole Israelite nation. They were part of the governing body that ruled Israel, led by the high priest at that time. And Nicodemus is one of these people. So Nicodemus was powerful. He was probably pretty wealthy. And he was part of the upper class of society. Thirdly, in verse 10, Jesus tells us that Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel. Now, this is a big deal. He is a national spiritual authority. He's literally the teacher of Israel, which means that he's got something to say. If you are the voice to the nation, that means you know the Old Testament or the scriptures incredibly well. In fact, he'd probably memorized most, if not all, of the Old Testament passages. On top of that, he knew and could interpret the 613 commands of the Jews really, really well. And then also those additional commands. He understood them and was able to unpack those really, really well. So Nicodemus would have been the guy all of the other rabbis came to, to ask questions, to ask for interpretations. When they struggled with something, they came to him. This is how well he knew the scriptures. And in verse 2 of John 3, here we've got Nicodemus, the, the teacher of Israel, coming to Jesus to ask questions about the scriptures of him. There's something about Jesus that Nicodemus is drawn to. He wants to spend time with him. He wants to hear from him. He wants to learn. And this morning, if you're in that place, you know, you might not identify as a Christian at the moment. You might not be following Jesus. But if you are feeling drawn to Jesus, if you're curious about him, if you're exploring his teachings today, I want to say you're not alone and that's such a good thing. And as a church, we would love to help you journey as you explore Jesus more and more. I think our great desire would be to see you go from being curious about him to see you be committed to him and follow him as a disciple. But back to verse 2. Nicodemus addresses Jesus as rabbi. Now, this was a term of respect. A rabbi was a teacher. And it's definitely a title that Nicodemus himself would have been regularly called. So as he comes to meet with Jesus... He humbly calls Jesus rabbi because in his eyes, as the teacher of Israel, he, by saying that, is making him and Jesus equal. At the time, of course, he doesn't realize who he really is speaking to and how much more than just a rabbi Jesus was, but that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Christ, who the scriptures spoke about, that he was the savior in the world who Nicodemus and so many others were looking forward to. He didn't realize all that yet. And it is also worth noting that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, he doesn't want anyone else to see that he's coming to meet with this man, that he's having a conversation with him. He doesn't want to be associated with Jesus yet, but he's drawn to Jesus. And he comes to him and he politely greets Jesus. He calls him rabbi. And the response Jesus gives him before Nicodemus has even asked a question is this. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, 
you cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm sure you've watched a movie or a TV series or whatever before, but there's been a moment where everyone's at a party, the music's playing, it's loud, there's laughter, there's fun going on, and something happens that is so awkward and embarrassing, and everyone goes quiet, and the music scratches and goes off, and everyone turns to stare, and generally there's someone who's been, I don't they always seem to be blowing up a balloon, and just in that awkward moment of silence, just the noise, that squeak from the balloon just kind of lets out in front of the whole crowd. That's what's happening here in John 3. Nicodemus, this powerful, influential, respected, authoritative leader, has come to Jesus and had this awkward moment of being told, you must be born again. And this would be crazy to him, you know. He's this man of authority. Everyone comes to him for information. He's grown up in the church. He's won all the Bible trivia competitions. You know, he's moral and devout. He's the boy all the other parents wanted their sons to be like. You know, he's the one everyone else wanted their daughters to date because they could trust Nicodemus. And he also comes from a good family. You know, he's a Jew. He's the right ethnicity. He's the right race. He ticked all of the boxes. And Jesus looks at him and effectively says, your religious knowledge, your ethnicity, your wealth, your position of power and authority, your place of respect in society and your moral life, they don't lead to a relationship with God or eternal life. You need something else if you want to enter into God's kingdom. You must be born again. And I want to ask you this morning, what in your mind are the credentials you need to be pleasing to God or to receive eternal life or to go to heaven one day or to enter into God's kingdom? What do you have to do to be right with God or who do you need to be? Because Nicodemus had them all, all the things we could think you might want. And yet Jesus looks at him and says, it's still not enough. I want you to try and picture Nicodemus's face when he gets this news. You know, uh, he would have been shaken by this, just going, Jesus, I'm not a proud man, but I don't understand what you're saying to me. You know, like, huh, what do you mean? Uh, Because that couldn't be possible. You know, if I'm not in, then no one else is in. Because you know who I am. I'm moral. I'm, I'm, Educated, I know the Bible really, really well. Uh, I lead the people. I'm a good guy. Like, like I, I represent the people before God. If I don't make it, and then surely no one can make it. What do you mean? But what Jesus is saying here is that eternal life or life in the kingdom or a relationship with God is out of reach for everyone. Even the most upright, upstanding, law-abiding person you know. Only one thing can guarantee you eternal life and relationship with God. And that's that you must be born again. You must be born again. Now, if you started in John chapter 1 and read through to this point in John 3, probably when Jesus mentions being born again, you would have thought back to John chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. You would have seen a link there. And verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, we need to receive Jesus. He gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. Do you believe in his name today? Who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. To be born again is to be born of the Spirit. It's to be born of God. And it means the same thing as being called children of God. So I want to ask you this morning, have you been born again? And are you a son or a daughter of God this morning? One of the things I love about the Bible is how real it is. And I love Nicodemus' response to all of this in verse 4. 
He says to Jesus, how can anyone be born when he is old? That's a fair question. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Now, after the initial shock of what Jesus said to Nicodemus, it's like he hears what he's saying, but his brain can't compute it. You know, his face looks shocked and horrible. Like I, I often look when I don't understand what someone's saying. He's going, what do you mean? He's thinking biologically. He's thinking physiologically. He's trying to work out how all of that could possibly work. What do you mean? Like a man needs to come out of his mother's womb again, Jesus? Nicodemus, the top Bible scholar in the world in his day. You know, 10-time Bible trivia champion, you know, self-proclaimed Bible nerd, is listening to Jesus talk about the basics of the faith, and he's completely confused. And I want to say to you today, if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, or if you're looking into the faith and you're completely confused, or some of the things I say or other people say don't make sense, if you're struggling with the Bible, that's okay. Here we've got Nicodemus, and he has no idea what Jesus is talking about. In spite of all of his learning, though, Nicodemus has missed this basic thing that Jesus wants him to get. He's been so focused on cleaning the outside and on doing what is right and keeping all of these external laws that he's missed what God has spoken about throughout the scriptures. In Ezekiel 36 verse 25 to 27, this is an Old Testament passage pointing ahead to Jesus' coming, talking about the new covenant that God was going to bring about. This is a passage Nicodemus definitely knew and had memorized. God speaks to his people and he says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. It's like God is saying to us in this verse here, I never asked you to clean yourself up. I've always wanted to make you brand new. That's the difference. I think we so often get this wrong and we try and clean ourselves up. We worry about the externals. We think that's what God cares about. So we think, okay, I'm going to do this. I've often chatted to people who they don't want to come to church until they've got their life in place. But how often do we do this? Even as people who've been in church for a long time, we think, okay, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to stop doing that thing that I was doing. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to come to church more regularly. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to stop that. I'm going to clean this act up. I'm going to get more disciplined. And then God will be pleased with me. But here we see God isn't interested in your personal renewal project. You must be born again. You must be born again. Now, in this passage, you might not be able to relate to Nicodemus. You know, you might say, I'm not a moral man like him. I'm not a good man. I'm not a religious man like him. My my past is not as perfect as his is at all. I'm not from the, the highest class of society. I'm not respected in my community, you know. But even Nicodemus, when it comes to Jesus, he says, Nicodemus, all of that stuff that you have, all of your credentials is not enough. This morning, we all have our own checkboxes. We've all got this list of things that we are trying to do, uh, things that we think will make us righteous in our own eyes, right before others, or right in the culture, or right before God, whichever you care the most about. And we put our confidence in these different things to make us feel right. And here Jesus says, it's not about your checkboxes. You must be born again. But the good news here is that Jesus holds out this offer of being born again 
to all of us this morning. A few verses down, we read what is probably the best known and most quoted verse in the Bible. Some of you have got what it is already. But in John 3, verse 16 and 17, I'm reading this from the CSB. It says, for God loved the world in this way. Now, I know some of you are used to it saying, for God so loved the world. And we think it means, wow, God loves us so much, and it does. But this isn't talking about the quantity of God's love. This is talking specifically about the way God demonstrates his love for us. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This verse doesn't say that God loves us present tense now because we have been born again. Because, you know, we are right with him. We are his sons and daughters. We've entered into his kingdom and we've been saved. It says that God loved us past tense, before we were saved, before we were in his kingdom, before we were his children, before we were born again. He loved us when we were in our sin, before we had been spiritually renewed. Romans 5 verse 8 puts it this way. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see in verse 17 of John 3, it says that Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn the world. You know why? Because we were all already condemned in us and we were all sinners. He didn't need to condemn us. He came into the world to save us. He came into the world that we might be born again. And as scandalous as this might sound, the picture that we see on the cross is of Jesus dying for all mankind. Jesus died for the moral, like Nicodemus, and he died for the immoral. He died for the good, like Nicodemus, and he died for the bad. He died for the religious, like Nicodemus, and the irreligious. He died for the rich and the poor. He died for people addicted to drugs and people addicted to social media. He died uh, for people who recycle and for people who litter. He died for racists. And for Black Lives Matter protesters. He died for homophobes and he died for the LGBTQ community. He died for virgins who are saving themselves for marriage and for people who think that that is absolutely crazy. He died for the abuser and the abused. He died for the oppressed and the oppressor. He died for black, white, Indian, colored and Asian people. He died for people who vote DA, ANC, EFF, ACDP, uh, Freedom Front Plants or IFP. He died for soccer fans, cricket fans, rugby fans, and people like me who aren't really sport fans at all. He died for the ambitious and the lazy. He died for the successful and failures. He died for Jews. He died for Hindus. He died for Buddhists. He died for Muslims. He died for agnostics and atheists. And he even died for Christians. Because as this passage says, we all stand condemned before God in our sin. All of us. But thank God that Jesus died for us all. That if we would come to him and respond to him and say to him that we have need, we could be born again. Just like Nicodemus, you and I can come to Jesus who died on the cross for us and we can be born again. And as God makes us new, as he renews us, we begin to change from the inside out. Our mindset changes, our worldview changes, our desires change. The way we live changes. We share this good news with others. More and more people come to find Jesus. The way we talk changes. The way we treat our employees changes. 
where we are with others changes and what we see over time. So as the good news of Jesus goes out, renewing individuals from the inside out, that we see change start to happen in bigger, bigger ways. Some of you will be entrusted by God to great influence in our city or in another place. God wants to use that to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Today I want to ask for two responses. And the first are for those who this morning can relate to Nicodemus. And maybe you're shocked by some of the things I'm saying today, but you're going, I need to be born again. Very simply, I want to ask you to pray a prayer where you repent, where you come to Jesus and you ask him to forgive you of your sin and where you put your trust in him, where you you begin to follow him and where you ask him to renew you by his spirit. And the other thing I want to ask you to do is tell someone, tell a Christian friend, tell whoever you're watching this with today, tell us, send us a mail, let us know that you prayed this prayer today. But respond to Jesus and be born again this morning. The second group that I want to speak to are those who've been following Jesus for a while. You are born again. You are saved. You're one of God's children. You're in his kingdom. But this morning you realize you need ongoing renewal in your inside of you. You need his kingdom to come in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in certain areas. You need his will to be done where it's not being done. This morning you want to pray for that. Will you close your eyes and join me? And I want to pray for you. Lord, I just welcome you in every lounge and around every person who's praying now. And I ask for those this morning who need to be born again, that you would pour your love into their hearts now. You would wash them clean of their sins. You would forgive them and give them a fresh and fuller revelation of Jesus. And that you would help them to follow you. But even now, would they be born again, I pray in Jesus' name. And for those who this morning know there's areas of their lives that need to change, they they need to um, see your kingdom come in their hearts, your will be done in their lives. I pray even now, Holy Spirit, that you'd put to death the sin inside of us and empower us to live out your ways. Renew us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. And we ask you, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Durban as it is in heaven. Amen.